This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Equity Minds! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you can Welcome to another episode of Equity Mate. It's a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help you break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm looking forward to this episode. Mm. We've done a couple of industry deep dives recently. They're a lot of fun, and now we're going to venture into a area that is well outside my circle of competence, the fashion and clothing industry. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're going to be doing a deep dive on uh, clothing here, apparel and accessories. Not footwear, but... Uh, not accessories. Maybe. No, not accessories. Anyway, you're right, Ren. It's not without... Uh, you're not in your circle of competence at all. Unless we're talking about uh, black shirts with equity mates logos that is right in my wheelhouse that is right in your wheelhouse <laughs> you're right um so we're going to get stuck in we're going to talk about it, the industry we're going to establish uh establish the stats talk about how big it is uh, a couple of quick fire questions um and then yeah trends and then obviously finish as we always do with how you can invest in the industry um so stick around there's plenty to get through today it's going to be a great episode before we do two quick pieces of housekeeping comedian the economist is on a real tear at the moment if you're unfamiliar they're the equity mates media macroeconomics show hosted by thomas an ex uh, reserve bank economist and adam a former professional comedian uh, recently, they've covered commodity prices, Janet Yellen's policies in the US, the Suez Canal, non-fungible tokens. Uh, they're going to be talking budget this month. So there's a lot going on on that show. So if you want to understand uh, the world of macroeconomics, uh, head over and give them a listen. One other piece of housekeeping from you. Yes, we we love uh, making markets accessible and giving people the opportunity to better their own investing journey. And the Australian Shareholders Association Investors Conference is coming up on the 31st of May and the 1st of June. It's going to be a, an epic opportunity to see some of the, the biggest chairmen and chairwomen and CEOs in the country. You're going to see the chairman of BHP, Telstra, Woolworth, CEO of Fortescue, Origin Energy, Sonic, just to name a few, all speaking and you'll have the access to, to ask plenty of questions. 
Uh, it is a paid event, but the good news is for the first 50 equity mates, uh, the Australian Shareholders Association are not only offering you a free membership to the Australian Shareholders Association for a year, but they're also off- offering discounted tickets. So head to australianshareholders.com slash equity mates. That's australianshareholders.com slash equity mates for more information. Yeah, pretty cool that you get to uh, ask questions of all those you know senior business leaders. If uh, if you weren't dragging us away that weekend for your thirtieth, yes. uh, I would be going to the Fortescue CEO and um, asking some follow up questions uh, on hydrogen. They're obviously trying to trying to make a big push into that space. We talked about it in our deep dive episode. Um, so if you have any questions from our episode. Go straight to the source and ask uh, Fortescue's CEO at this conference. Yeah, awesome opportunity. So the industry deep dive uh, clothing, we've already um, we've already made mention that it's not in your circle of competence, yes. Ren, and that we are going to be talking about um, apparel and not footwear. Uh, also, Why do you keep also, pointing at me? Also not, <laughs> also not in your circle of conf- competence. Yes, um, but. With a real focus on the retailing side of things, we will touch on on the production and wholesale side, but um, there's some pretty phenomenal companies that play in the retail space. There are, there are, um, including two that we used to work for. Yes. So, let's set the scene. Let's set the scene. So, did you know that today we consume five times more clothing than we did 20 years ago? Yes. You did know that? Yeah. Cool. You must have read the notes. <laughs> it's, called, it's, called, it's called fast fashion. Yeah. Uh, approximately 80 billion new pieces of clothing are produced every year. So this isn't a small industry. Globally, the market is worth $1.5 trillion a year. That's projected to grow to $2.25 trillion in five years by 2025. Uh, globally, e-commerce was $486 billion in 2020. Uh, so that's about one third of that 1.5 trillion is now e-commerce, which surprised me. One third, I, I knew I knew it was growing. I didn't think it would be that high. Again, not within my circle of confidence yeah. though. So, <laughs> um, the US is a little bit behind the rest of the world. Surprisingly, uh, e-commerce accounted for just under 30 percent of industry sales in the US. So, um, what you're seeing there and what you will continue to see across so many industries when we talk about e-commerce is that China is ahead. In terms of e-commerce penetration, um, China is generally ahead of the US. So that's globally. In Australia, so globally the market's $1.5 trillion. In Australia, $16 billion. Uh, Between 2015 and 2020, it actually was down a little bit. Um, and it was down 8.5% in 2020 due to COVID. So not really a fast growing industry overall. But I think what that obscures is that within the industry, like the pie not be, might not be getting bigger, but the, the individual slices of those pies are moving around and people are you know, fighting tooth and nail for market share. And there are some big people being disrupted and some small people becoming big. So yeah, I think while the, while the pie isn't getting bigger there's plenty of investing opportunities within that pie it's getting it's 2.25 trillion by 2025 from a 1.5 oh, glo- trillion globally base, it's so getting bigger don't yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, just it's in australia it's certainly growing yeah. but i mean you wouldn't i mean i wouldn't i'm not going to speak for you or for anyone listening but i like to think globally like it's just as easy to invest in global companies as it is australian yeah, companies absolutely yeah the USA is the largest market, um, China the second, and then Japan the third. 
and then the Asia Pacific region is actually the fastest growing uh, around the world at 4% a year between 2015 and 2020. And if you compare that with the US, they've been growing at an average of 2% over the same period. So uh, double the growth rate uh, in Asia Pacific. Uh, also, I don't think any surprises there. All so right. I got some quick fire questions for you. Yeah. What is the most valuable apparel brand worldwide measured by like brand value? I actually haven't looked at the questions for this one. Okay. So um, uh, most valuable apparel brand worldwide measured by brand value. Yeah. Like Ralph Lauren. No. Surprising that you go there, but actually not that surprising because that's right up your alley in terms it's not. of- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should have known Nike. Nike, Nike. Yeah. Uh, and then second quick fire question for you. What's larger, the global lingerie market or the global secondhand apparel market? Um, it's definitely lingerie. It is lingerie, yeah. but not by that much. 38.5 billion compared to 28 billion. Secondhand apparel. I'm surprised that was the comparison with lingerie. Oh, I just, they, their numbers were pretty similar. Oh, right. Dude, we had a we had a business idea while we were at uni to buy a shipping container of secondhand <laughs> clothes did. and sell it. We could have contributed to that number. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Well, look, before we jump into uh, looking at the industry in a bit more detail, we'll take a short break and hear from our sponsors. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right. So let's talk about how to conceptualize the industry. So first thing is this, this industry is truly global. Like there's no real country where there's just a domestic apparel industry that isn't impacted by global forces. So, in terms of the uh, supply chains and where, I guess, a lot of these clothing is starting and where it's finishing, um, do you want to talk through some of the biggest exporters? Some of the biggest leading exporters in the world, no surprises that China is the largest at $152 billion, uh, followed by the EU, European Union, uh, $136 billion. Um, Bangladesh, uh, I mean, if you think about a lot of the clothing, this fast fashion, um, where they're made, uh, I guess from a supply chain and a cost point of view, you start getting into these, uh, Asian countries, you've got 34 billion Bangladesh, Vietnam, 31 billion, India, 17, and then Turkey at, uh, 16 billion. So, um, I mean, that, that sort of makes sense. I was surprised by Turkey, to be honest, um, but yeah, so the, the exporters, a lot of these clothing is starting in Southeast Asia, Bangladesh, Vietnam, China, India. Um, 
well, Asia more generally. And then in terms of the importers, like where a lot of it is ending up, the biggest consumers of this, I mean, not a lot of surprises there. Do you want to tell us where they go? Yeah, so the leading importers, you've got the European Union importing the most. Uh, so they're second on the list for exports, but still import more than they do export at $180 billion. The US importing $96 billion, uh, followed by Japan, the UK, China and Hong Kong importing $11 billion, and then Canada and South Korea, um, all equal when yeah, it comes 11. to yeah, $11 billion. So. Um, yeah, interesting that the EU are at the top of that. I, I would say that the EU is, they're exporting, so the second biggest exporter, it would be a lot of that high value, you know, those like high fashion European brands, France, Italy, that kind of stuff. And a lot of that export would be going to either the US or China. But then the fact that they're top of the imports as well would be a lot of the lower value, not so much branded stuff being made in, especially Asia, and then being imported back in. Would I, how I'd expect those trade flows. So yeah, first thing in terms of how we're talking about conceptualizing the industry is it is truly, it's characterized by global supply chains. With global supply chains come global companies. And with uh, what this business, uh, or this industry, I guess, is really characterized is by these global companies becoming conglomerates and really rolling up brands. If you think about most of the brands that you're aware of, that you're buying on the shelves, likelihood is that they're not a standalone company, that they're part of a fashion and clothing conglomerate. Um, we've got a list of some uh, of the major companies so, and actually some of the companies that you can invest in um, and some of the brands that they own. Um should we just rip through some of them? Yeah, let's do it. LVHM uh, owns also basically every major champagne brand. Yeah. They own Fendi, Givenchy. Also, forgive me if I mispronounce any of these because I guarantee you I will. Uh, Bulgari, Tiffany & Co, Marc Jacobs. So a lot of that high fashion stuff. Inditex. I've actually never heard of Inditex. This is this guy is like the third richest in the world. No, fourth? no. That's, uh, that's the LVMH guy, isn't it? I thought it was the Zara guy. Is it? Ah, oh. I thought so. I'm probably wrong. You're yeah. probably right. No, anyway, you are right. Yeah. So, um, Inditex uh, owns Zara, Massimo Dutti, Bershka, Oisho, Pull and Bear. Never heard of any of them, to be honest. No, I've heard of Zara. Everyone's heard of Zara. Oh yeah, even Zara. I've heard of Zara. Um, even companies like Gap. Uh, Gap. So it owns Gap, but it also owns own Old Navy, Banana Republic, Athleta. VF Corporation, one of the bigger uh, US companies, owns Dickies, Jan Sport, Kipling, The North Face, Timberland, Vans, Supreme. Um, when people buy Supreme stuff and they reckon they're, uh, you know, being pretty uh, non-conformist, yes, they're just they're buying being... from a massive US corporation. <laughs> yes. Um, also, this company owns fifty-five percent of the US backpack market. Wow, strange market, but hey, good to good to be number one. Yeah. Um, Kering, Kering, they own Gucci, uh, Yves, Saint Laurent, Yves? Balenci yeah. Balenciaga, Alexander McQueen, uh, Christopher Kane. Then we have PVH, they own Van Hoosen, Van Housen, Tommy Hilfiger, Calvin Klein, Izod. Yeah, yeah. Look, we could keep going through this, but I think the point is if you think about, uh, a lot of the fashion brands, the consumer-facing fashion brands, 
they're conglomerates. So yeah. when we're conceptualizing this industry, it's truly global. All of these businesses have global supply chains. And with that comes global companies that are rolling up all these brands. Um, and then finally, the, the third way to conceptualize this industry is traditionally the supply chains were pretty straight. You would, you know, you would make it in a cheap export country, send it to wherever you were buying it, send it to a retail store, and um, then you would buy it. And that was how it worked. <laughs> but now um, we're just seeing a much more complex industry, but a much more, I guess, dynamic industry. We're seeing traditional retailers be disrupted. We're seeing e-commerce come along, but we're also seeing things like um, e-commerce move into bricks and mortar and disrupt bricks and mortar that way. We're seeing e-commerce be disrupted by like Instagram and Facebook and those kind of like next level of e-commerce and like social um, social commerce platforms. Um, we're seeing like, you know, uh, the whole role of the wholesaler is being disrupted by platforms like Alibaba and just like the internet in general cutting, sort of cutting out that middleman a lot of the times and retailers can deal directly with manufacturers. So what was a pretty straight producer to wholesaler to retailer to customer supply chain is now incredibly fragmented um but that's really the industry yeah so let's have a look at some of the trends and themes that are emerging and worth considering as an investor there's no doubt that global markets are now very much expanding particularly outside of of western countries mm. so um you know you've got these uh, countries now that are being driven by an emerging middle class with a fair bit of disposable income. You think about China, you think about India, you think about um, Indonesia, Indonesia yeah. Yeah, a couple of other Southeast Asian examples yeah, yeah. where uh, traditionally markets, particularly on the higher end, you know, we've spoken about those conglomerates, wouldn't be, I guess, setting up shop and trying to sell a bunch of their, their brands there, but are now finding... Uh, growth from these emerging markets and, uh, as we said, driven by disposable income. So great, I guess, if you're an investor in some of those companies or, or run these companies as new new markets are opening up. Yeah, if you're an investor in any of those conglomerates that we talked about earlier and they don't have a China strategy and an Asia strategy, you've got to seriously question like where the next leg of growth is coming from. Yeah. Um, second trend, rise of e-commerce. We've already touched on it a little bit. Everyone kind of knows it, so let's not talk about it too much. But obviously, um, it's driven by the increasing online access and smartphone penetration, which is particularly important, not so much in the West where the internet has been around for a while, but where in emerging markets, every new smartphone user, like that's a new internet user. Um, and so that's where it's having a really profound effect, e-commerce. Um Six out of 10 shoppers say the possibility to shop via mobile is an important factor in deciding what brands to choose from. I was surprised by that because I honestly don't care. But obviously, again, outside my circle of competence. China is leading the way in fashion e-commerce. Five largest markets. Have you looked at the numbers? No. How much bigger do you think China is than the US in terms of fashion e-commerce? Three. Three times. Not, Not It's about double. Right. But still, that surprised me. Um, and then, so China's 670 billion, the US is about 340 billion, UK 100 billion, Japan 80 billion, Germany 70 billion. So they're the top five markets. You can just see how big China is. Yeah, that's e-commerce. It's sort of, we don't, we got more, but we, we, know don't know what it is. we know it. Yeah. 
The other trend that is really taking off and, and uh, helping these brands is the power of uh, the celebrity and influencer culture. Massive. We know what is happening online. Social engagement rates for fashion brands. Um, Facebook, 0.03%. Mm-hmm. Twitter, 0.03%. Instagram, 0.68%. Mm. Interesting. Are you are you looking at me like that? Because it's like, what do these numbers mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the... Is it Stat... Statista. Statista? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, they did a thing. They looked at like the amount of um, posts that fashion brands were posting on these platforms and then like the level of engagement with these posts. The The point of those numbers is purely... It's nothing. Purely... Well, I, how much are you engaging with like business posts as well? Yeah, I mean, yeah, n- never. Yeah. yeah, but I think the point is that we talk about the rise of celebrity and influencer culture impacting fashion. We're really talking about Instagram. Like Instagram has just been this massive driver of meaningfully like billion dollar brands emerging. We, you know, everyone knows like Kylie Jenner, Kim Kardashian, a lot of those brands, but there are. There are so many fashion brands that are Instagram native and have become real disruptors through, you know, micro influencers, big influencers, whole bunch of stuff on Instagram. But that that platform is the one. The one. It'll be interesting to see where TikTok is in a few years. Yeah. Relative. Uh, if TikTok have a, they may already do, but if they had a swipe up to shop, um, surely it's coming. Surely, surely. surely. If it's not. Um, It'll come. Now that they're listening, they've heard this, it'll come. Agree, <laughs> <laughs> mate's bump. Uh, I guess a, a good example of that, Ren, is the uh, Fashion Nova. It's the fastest growing women's apparel brand. It was Instagram driven. It has 20 million followers, partnerships with the likes of Cardi B, Kylie Jenner, and an army of over 3,000 micro influencers. And you can't underestimate the power of micro, micro influencers. No. So they've, they've been able to harness that and, uh, and grow pretty well on Instagram. Some other driving factors and, and thematics within the clothing industry is that we're changing what we're wearing. There's that been this massive rise of uh, athleisure started by Lululemon. Uh, now you see everyone walking around in gym mm. gear, Nike, despite uh, not even going to the gym. You actually did that yesterday in our office. I went to the gym though. You spent all morning walking around in <laughs> athletics gear. <laughs> not, not bloody tights, that's for sure. <laughs> um, we're seeing the decline of department stores, you know, driven. We know that e-commerce is, is kicking in and, and specialty stores. So the likes of Maya here in Australia and David Jones as well. And I'm sure there's equivalents overseas if you are listening from overseas, but department stores didn't, are- Didn't Woolies say Big W was worth $0? At one stage? Yeah. Yeah, that's another one. Maya has fallen... I just had a look at their share price. Since it must have relisted in 2009, it's fallen over 90% from yeah, you. Yeah, it's been phenomenal. Imagine if you... Own, yeah, don't own it. Don't own it. <laughs> it's like yeah. a slow-moving Slater and Gordon. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not good to be in department stores, that's for sure. They've Both Maya and David Jones have also tried to go through a big phase of uh, redoing their stores and trying to be more hip and cool Mm. and make everything look good and better customer experience. But at the end of the day, you can buy everything online um, that you can buy in store or buy it from specialty stores. So yeah, see you later. Yeah. It's like, what what do those brands stand for? Nothing. Anyway, uh, We said uh, Big W is struggling. A business that isn't struggling is Kmart, one of its major competitors. Kmart and then also Amazon have really lent lent into the rationalize their range, have a super simple like basics that they make themselves. Um, 
try and vertically integrate the supply chain as much as possible or if they don't actually own the supply chain like you know have a lot of control over it and so we're seeing uh like a really cheap own brand um trend emerge i guess amazon basics came out a lot of that stuff not that interesting to be honest though (laughs) (laughs) maybe just not that interesting to me uh two more trends that i think are worth paying attention to so first the first one is the business model innovators and we're seeing that um in a number of different spaces you know through covid we have seen the rise of like smart fitting technology and at home virtual fittings and a whole bunch of stuff to try and replicate the best bits of the in-store experience to e-commerce we're also seeing businesses uh like in situ in australia a, a bunch of others who are like looking at these global supply chains and saying how can we do it better how can we strip costs out how can we give a better customer experience um in situ for example have been like there's all these um tailors over in asia um that if we cut out a lot of the the sort of middlemen company we can get stuff delivered to Australia cheaper than the major brands, but we still give a tailor like custom suit and stuff like that. Um, there are other business model innovators that are looking at these somewhat inefficient supply chains and saying, how can we do it better? Or looking at these brands and saying, how can we disrupt them? So it's a pretty interesting business because it's in many cases, it's very low margin and it's incredibly cutthroat. If you're interested in business model innovation as a form of disruption, uh, it's a really interesting industry to watch. Last one, this is one that I'm particularly interested in from a sustainability perspective. The move to fast fashion and then the rejection of that and the embrace of, I guess, ethical or slow fashion. Mm. So Zara, H&M, those kind of brands are they are fast fashion they what well, they change their lines every six to eight weeks rather than a traditional retailer which would have seasons of clothing um and that that was an incredibly powerful business model to get customers to come back in the store over and over again what's new what's new what's new and also to pull underperforming lines really quickly um but it's an incredibly resource intensive and wasteful business model uh, i've pulled some numbers so did you know this? I had no idea. Fashion industry accounts for t- eight to ten percent of overall greenhouse gas emissions. Wow. Yeah, um, that's what globalized supply chains do, I guess. Mm. Um, they also are this. The apparel industry is also the world's second largest consumer of water. Again, I was surprised. And the fashion industry is accountable for twenty four percent of insecticides used globally and eleven percent of pesticides used globally. Not a great industry. No. Well, just a massive industry. Um, uh, with, with yeah with a like re- resource intensive mm. um but also a lot of waste is created so all that resource is used in the input side water insecticide pesticide to keep you know like cotton and stuff growing well um and then eight to ten percent of the overall greenhouse gases to grow it and then to get it to these places all that resource goes into it but then on a whole bunch of it's wasted in the end so in europe as much as 15 kilograms of textiles is wasted per person and in america that number is 37 kilograms um i'm pretty sure those are both annual numbers so a heap of resources going in a lot of wasted resource coming out fast fashion wasn't the cause of a lot of these things but definitely accelerated and accentuated a lot of these things so what we're seeing is a rejection of the Zara's and the H&M's and the fast fashion brands and a move to ethical or slow fashion. Um, 
Globally, in 2020, the fast fashion industry saw a 12% decline, which, like, COVID had a role, but that that 12% was deeper than the industry as a whole. Um, 35% of millennials, 36% of Gen Z consumers prefer buying sustainable and environmentally friendly clothing. And then this trend was accelerated by the pandemic. In Britain, 28% of those surveyed started using reused clothes more than pre-pandemic and 35% of women surveyed plan to buy fewer clothes in the future in general. In another survey, 37% of buyers said they find environmental protection crucial when buying clothes and 33% stated they only bought clothes from brands that paid work as a living wage. And so what we're really saying is that consumers are leaning into uh, examining their choices when it comes to fashion and thinking about the implications of those choices and like what their brands stand for and also what the brand's supply chains look like. And for me, that's a really that trend is only going to increase. I wonder if Zara has done anything about it, you know, in terms of changing their offering, reducing the frequency that they're changing their lines. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they having, how they react to this. Having done no research on how they respond, let me guess. They're not changing their core business model of fast fashion, but they're finding ways to like donate the wasted clothes or like uh, they're finding ways to, in some ways, greenwash it. Yeah. Uh, don't come at me, Zara, but, but not actually change the core underlying business model. So before we jump into some of the major companies that you can invest in and some of the ETFs as well, um, we will take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. So uh, major companies and how we can, I guess, group them together, Ren. Let's start with suppliers and manufacturers. Um, we've got the YKK group, which is one of the largest, 40% market share for zippers yeah. of all things. I, I used to think they have more. Maybe they did and someone disrupted them, but they used to be like the only guys in the world that made zippers or something. Something like that. Yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, it's just one of those massive companies that specialize and then they have 40% of the market in zippers. Uh, Then there's Shenzhou International. If uh, you listen to our podcast with uh, Chow Ma, she pitched it for HM1. It's that massive textile manufacturer uh, who have companies, uh, you know, like Nike, Adidas, Uniqlo, Puma. Uh, They're enormous and she was pretty bullish on on the way that they are run and their management so uh, a massive player over in the manufacturing landscape mm. i mean there's so many other companies in this section around the world but it, it's just like the first group i guess if you're looking to invest is the suppliers and the manufacturers the people with factories who are producing this stuff for export and then if uh, you go beyond that, the next stage would be who are they producing for? And you've got the brands that they're producing for. Obviously, Nike, Adidas, LVMH, um, and many of the others that we spoke about are up the top there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, second second category, as you said, who are the brands that are, are overseeing the production and getting this stuff produced for? I guess then the third thing that flows naturally from that is where are these clothes being sold? Um, and we can probably talk about the bricks and mortar first. Um, in Australia, some of the bigger names. So Woolworths owns Big W. Um, West Farmers owns Kmart and Target. Mosaic Brands uh, owns Miller's, Rockman, Nonny B, Rivers, Katie's, Autograph. Again, big conglomerates with lots of brands underneath. This time on the retailing side, but same thing. 
another one, Premier Investments, um, Solomon Liu's um, investment vehicle, I guess, uh, Just Jeans, Peter Alexander, JJ's, Jackie E, Portman's, Dotty, again, conglomerate yeah. with a lot of brands. I'd also slip in shopping malls somewhere within there. Yeah, would you invest in them though? No, no I wouldn't invest in a lot of these. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you, that is a very fair point. But you are right. Um, shopping malls is a good one to include in that. Um, I mean, the main one is Westfield and that's... I can't even remember it. It's uh, <laughs> it's Uniball Rodamco Westfield. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And then there would be other ones. Yeah, there's a few overseas. But anyway, let's keep moving. Um, so we've spoken about bricks and mortar. The flip side of that is obviously the e-commerce disruptors. You can't go past Amazon. Um, and then if we go a step further on the e-commerce uh, train, it is thinking about the, the picks and shovels analogy and you're thinking about uh, businesses that are built around the th- thematic of, of e-commerce. PayPal is, is one example. Uh, and then Shopify, yeah. another great example um, of how you can invest in the e-commerce thread and uh, but not direct, intended. yeah but not directly in uh, an e-commerce platform such as Amazon actually it wasn't, are, it, it wasn't really a pun was it it needs to be more like fashion thread would have been the pun <laughs> true <laughs> um, so look we obviously have only scratched the surface of the major companies but we're talking about a global industry I think the main point is just how we conceptualize the different players yeah. in the market and how they interact. Suppliers and manufacturers, big brand names, those conglomerates that we talked about earlier, the retailers, both bricks and mortar retailers and the e-commerce disruptors, um, then like the picks and shovels of the industry for especially the e-commerce side. Um, and then you could also talk one final category around the business model innovators. A lot of them aren't public yet though, so not not a lot of investing opportunities in the the Instagram-driven businesses or the institutes of the world or stuff like that. They're private. Um, as they grow, They'll be coming. They'll be coming, all of them, especially... I mean, Kylie Jenner's business was, what, a billion dollars when it got sold? Yeah. You could IPO a billion-dollar business. We will. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk about investing in the industry as a whole. Yeah, so obviously we have all the specific companies we just mentioned. No surprises there, but... In researching this, it's evident that there are plenty of ETFs out there. Yeah, not a lot in Australia, though. Well, well that's not surprising. Yeah, uh, somewhat. Come on, guys, here in Australia. <laughs> uh, hopefully, you're listening. So, let's start general. You've got your general uh, retail ETFs that are all US listed. So, uh, and, and these aren't just clothing retail. Like yeah, when we say general, we mean general. general. Yeah. So, fire up your broker. If you don't have a, a US broker, perhaps think about getting one. Um, or Australian brokers perhaps think about expanding your offering. True. So we'll <laughs> rip through a couple. Um, you've got your SPDR, S&P Retail that's listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Its ticket is XRT. Um, it is one of the cheapest you can get, 0.35% fee on that one. Same as the Vanek uh, Vectors Retail. Its ticket is RTH. Uh, Amazon is 20% of holdings. Walmart, 10%. Home Depot, uh, about the same as well. So yeah. three of the big hitters over in the States uh, Van- from a retail perspective. Van Eck, not scared to go concentrated. Love concentrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I respect that. I, I do respect the conviction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, First Trust NASDAQ Retail, its ticker is FTXD. Uh, PowerShares Dynamic Retail ticker is PMR. 
and then the if you're looking to really go long uh, <laughs> on retail, which is right up my alley, you've got the Direxion Daily Retail Bull three times leveraged. Uh, its ticket is R-E-T-L. Buyer beware on that one. It is a little bit expensive and also it's uh, a daily leveraged. So uh, without going too deep, there's risk of slippage over a long period of time. So uh, beware of that. But look, I think the message is that there are plenty of options if you want to go broad on retail. General retail is boring though. Let's talk about some of the more thematic ones. Um, so there's three online retail specific ETFs, also all US based. Uh, ProShares online retail ETF, ticket is ONLN. Uh, all of these management fees are a little bit more. They're in the 0.5 or 0.6 range. Um, so I'm not going to... Uh, you can do your own research after... Also, Amplify Online Retail, ticker iBuy. Interestingly, three biggest positions, Carvana, PetMed, and Wayfair. I feel like there's a big online retail name that's missing from the top of that list. Amazon. Yeah, well, like, <laughs> get it in there. <laughs> wow. Um, and then another one, so Amplify Online Retail, US-focused, Amplify International Online Retail, um, obviously globally-focused. Speaking of online retail, there's a category that I quite like um, that I imagine you're going to like is the Retail Whisperer. ProShares Long Online Short Stores ETF. Love it. Ticker CLIX. And then another one, ProShares Decline of the Retail Store ETF. Ticker EMTY. So that's a short bricks and mortar. Short. So one is long e-commerce, short bricks and mortar. And the other is just short bricks and mortar. Wow. Love it. Okay, and then to close out, uh, there's the ProShares Pet Care called Pause, <laughs> the Global X MSCI China Consumer Discretionary. That'd be an interesting one, and the Emerging Markets Internet and E-Commerce ETF, which would also be an interesting one given the conversations we've been having over the last couple of weeks about the role that Indonesia, India, and China yeah, are playing in the yeah. in the global landscape. So, um, look. Plenty going on Plenty in the clothing industry, massive industry, a lot to think about, a lot of investment opportunities um, from suppliers and manufacturers all the way through to uh, end consumers and then and then bricks and mortar and online retailers. So, yeah. I, I've got one final thought. Um, if you're going to invest in an individual company in this industry, just really think long and hard about their sustainable competitive advantage. You know, we often talk about moats. Think about the moats in this case because there's one big one that brands have or one big one that companies have, which is brand. You know, Nike have a really strong brand moat. LVMH, uh, who own a lot of those like um, really premium brands, have a really strong brand moat. But outside of brand, you're not going to find a lot of really enduring like competitive modes you might get a minor cost advantage from scale um you know if you're producing a hundred million shirts a year rather than a million you might get a small increment cheaper unit price but really people are going to be able to flex how much they spend on clothing and apparel based on things like brand and who's endorsing it and you know all that stuff um you don't find a lot of moats in this industry and that's why there's so much disruption constantly happening and so much like business model changing and all this stuff happening. Um, the industry is characterized by fickle customers, low barriers to entry and next to no switching costs for customers. So um, that would be my final thought on 
fashion. Sorry to end on a down note. That's fine. <laughs> well, that's all we have time for. We'll have to leave it there. Uh, hopefully, you got something out of that that will help you on your investing journey. But, Ren, we'll pick it up next week. Sounds good. Equitymates Investing Podcast is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.